0: I'm so excited about this Ocean Pancake episode. Today I have marine biologist and researcher Hannah Kish with me. We actually met at the Reef Restoration Foundation when we were working together to clean coral trees which had little coral fragments on from resilient mother colonies uh, which would then grow in accelerated growth, hopefully, and then be able to be outplanted to the reef to regenerate degraded areas. We also talk about other methods of coral growth restoration, including mineral accretion, which she has had some experience with, with Coral Alive, as well as her experience with the Coral Restoration Foundation in Florida Keys. We discuss other methods of kind of trying to regenerate the Great Barrier Reef, what are some of the issues the Great Barrier Reef is facing, what the water quality reports are saying about the increased nutrients and everything into the ocean, into the reef catchment zones, and how that is affecting the crown of thorns and the health of the reef. We proceed to kind of get into some coral spawning, biology about coral, which I find really fascinating, and she tells us when this year's coral spawning might be. Spoiler alert, set your calendar to November 16th. Finally, we get into conservation work and how to ensure that the companies that you guys are getting involved in are actually proper and well-funded by the correct people. So you don't wanna get into a situation where you are working for sketchy people being taken advantage of. So she gives her top tips on how to make sure that the company you're getting involved in is actually legitimate and is doing positive work for our Earth. So without further ado, let's get into this episode. since this is quite a new podcast it would have mean the world to me if you can take a moment to leave me a review on iTunes or if you want to hear about all the things that we were talking about and check out the Reef Restoration Foundation and all that there'll be links available on the website which is www.oceanpancake.com so check that out over there as well as find me on the Instagram YouTube all that jazz vegan diver cat you'll be able to find me there and yeah love hearing from you guys so shoot me a message let me know what you'd like to see And yeah, let's get into it. Every day, there's a new news story about the crisis facing our ocean, whether it's the plastic issue, overfishing, pollution. If the oceans die, we die. Fortunately, we have plenty of environmental activists, marine conservationists and eco-warriors who are out there every day fighting to protect our oceans and our Earth. On the Ocean Pancake Podcast, we're gonna be hearing from some of them about how to decrease our environmental footprint, go plastic-free, participate in ocean conservation, cleanups, and even maybe some marine science. So welcome to the Ocean Pancake Podcast, where the goal is sustainability and living a turquoise life. My name is Kat Andriy and I'm your host today. Let's get into this week's episode. Alright, recording. Hi guys and welcome to the next episode of the Ocean Pancake Podcast. Today I'm here with my friend Hannah Kish who is a marine biologist and researcher. We actually met while we were working together on the Reef Restoration Foundation and I thought she was incredible because she has done this coral conservation work all over the world almost so I thought she'd be a very valuable human being to have here to share with us her knowledge of coral conservation so welcome Hannah.
1: Oh, thank you so much, Kat. It's good to be here. I'm excited. First podcast.
0: <laughs> yeah, no, um, I, I still feel like it's my first one, even though it's like the 10th episode now. Very exciting stuff.
1: <laughs> <laughs> have you gotten used to hearing your voice on recording? Well, thankfully, I have
0: been doing YouTube now for about two, two three years. So I have gotten very used to editing my own voice and um <laughs> It's slightly less cringy than it was before, but it's still kind
1: of weird. Good.
0: <laughs> I'm always surprised by my accent. I'm like, oh, no, I sound American.
1: <laughs> oh, God, please no.
0: <laughs> so Hannah, could you introduce yourself a little bit more um, in terms of what you do and kind of what brought you to this ocean conservation lifestyle?
1: Yeah, of course. Um, so, I am Hannah Kish, and I am a marine biologist with um, a couple different organizations in Australia. Um, my main one is Reef Restoration Foundation. I'm doing a research study with them, and then I also um, work with Tropwater in their seagrass ecology lab, and they're starting to ramp up on some coral larvae research, and I'll be working with them as well. Yeah,
0: that's pretty cool, especially yeah. seagrass, because here in Western Australia, where I am, it's like some of the biggest seagrass fields in the world yeah and it's coming up yeah. to season so i get to go see dugongs very excited oh
1: so jealous dugongs aren't as populous in cans anymore unfortunately so oh, we're hoping to get them back with the um propagation of some seagrass fields up here so we'll see fingers crossed i get to see one eventually
0: <laughs> i actually got to see two last week and it was very exciting so i hope you get to see them as well in queensland the Um, So
1: what do you do with reef restoration? Yeah, so my role there basically is they were assigned some questions by the Great Barrier Reef Marine Park Agency um, and they are requiring to uh, know how fast coral grows in a coral nursery and if that is actually faster than if they grow in the coral reef naturally. So uh, my project is just trying to compare those growth rates and see if that actually is a uh, productive method of growing coral and restoring reefs.
0: Yeah, so for those of you guys who don't know what Reef Restoration Foundation is doing, is basically they have set up a coral reef nursery just off Fitzroy Island. There is a video I made uh, about this on my YouTube channel, so if you guys want to check it out, you can actually see the underwater structures. But they're these underwater structures which kind of look like Christmas trees, where uh, little fragments of coral are placed on uh, from mother colonies, which have been found to be more resilient to coral bleaching than the other ones in the area and then because they're hanging off this Christmas tree they got a good flow of water and nutrients therefore theoretically um, they could be growing better and faster because as well like one of the jobs Hannah and I did when we actually went out with reef restoration is to clean the Christmas trees from algae growths and anything like that to actually help the little baby baby coral grow <laughs> grow yeah grow to- so what have you been seeing? Have you been seeing them grow faster? Like
1: what's it looking yeah. so Um, Yeah. So we actually just collected a whole bunch of new corals. So we haven't seen a lot of growth rates since that was just like a month ago. So they don't grow that fast, unfortunately. Um, but historically over a year, we'll see them grow rapidly. And I know some of the organizations around the world have actually seen accelerated growth rates in coral nurseries. Um, So this is kind of uh, Australia's first time recording and measurements of all of that phenomenon. So it's really exciting to see um, if that applies in the Great Barrier Reef area. So we'll see, but anecdotally, I've definitely accelerated growth in the nursery. For
0: Those people who kind of don't know that much about coral, could you give us a quick marine biology overview about what coral actually is?
1: Yeah, of course. Um, So coral is considered an animal, but it has a a relationship with something called zooxanthellae, which is zooplankton that lives within the coral polyps um, skin, so to say. And that actually is how the coral gets about 85 to 95% of its um, food from that zooxanthellae. It's a plant. It photosynthesizes and it gives the coral its um, sugars and outputs and stuff. Uh, so, yeah, so these little coral polyps live in a huge colony, um, on the colonial animals, so you'll see, um, massive coral things in the reef, and that's actually probably millions, trillions of coral polyps all living together, so it's pretty cool. Yeah.
0: Yeah, so it's, it's a really interesting combination of animal and plant essentially working together yeah. in this symbiotic relationship. Yeah. And, um, yeah. Uh, so what happens is that they, they build their skeletons, which is the hard parts that we see, and um, yep. that is also what's kind of left over after coral bleaching. So f- for people who yep. don't know much about coral bleaching, what exactly is that, or what does it mean for the coral
1: structure? Yeah, so um, coral bleaching tends to happen when corals get stressed out. So recently in the news, it's been because of high temperature and ocean acidification, but it can happen for a variety of reasons. Um, bad water quality, uh, high turbidity, and such of that nature. Just anything that stresses the coral out, they'll expel that zooxanthellae, so they lose that 85 to 95% of their food source, and you'll see the coral polyp, how it actually is. And it's see-through, which is why it appears white, um, because it's that calcium carbonate or limestone skeleton that they secrete. So it's that white material, which appears obviously white, coral bleaching. Um, Yeah, and... The coral, the zozantelli leaves, and if it doesn't return within two to three weeks, um, that coral actually dies. So bleaching does not mean death, but it is a pathway to, unfortunately, dying yeah. increase.
0: I like that you really did kind of make that clear, because I think that's one of the biggest misconceptions, is that once coral is bleached, it means it's dead. Um, and I was talking to some other marine biologists, and they said it really depends on the individual coral and, you know, how much, how much energy it essentially has for how long it can survive the conditions it's in so it can really die you know in the two to three weeks or some die sooner some die later so it's really dependent um yeah so could you tell us a bit more about the propagation techniques of how do you grow these corals in a nursery or what does that look like
1: yeah um So, we'll go out and collect, um, we call them donor colonies, or colonies that are already growing on the reef, and um, the ones that look really healthy and vibrant. We know they've gone through two previous mass bleaching events, both in 2014 and 2016, so those are kind of our target um, colonies. So, we'll collect some donor colonies, and those turn into mother colonies, and those will hang at the base of trees, and from those mother colonies, Will fragment or cut little bits of coral about the length of your fingertip and will rehang those on the trees. And they'll just hang down on monofilament lines. So, like Kat was saying before, it has a good um, nutrient flow, that ocean current, it's close to the surface, so it gets a lot of sunlight for photosynthesis. And those little coral fragments then grow within nine months um to probably about a hand a little bit bigger than your hand size and that means they're ready to be put back on the reef or outplanted. um yeah so once they're big enough to do that and healthy enough um we'll put them back on the reef and that kind of allows the good genetics of that donor colony that originally was on the reef to kind of propagate faster if that makes any sense
0: yeah when where how do you pick where on the reef they go
1: So we wanna do some clear substrate where there's not a lot of algae or other coral already growing. Um, And we wanna make sure it's hard because obviously if you put coral into sand, it's gonna suffocate it. So we want someplace hard and that it's um, kind of raised into the water column so it still gets that good nutrient flow. Um, and then we'll just clear that substrate away. So if there is a little bit of algae or a little bit of sponge around, it's okay. We'll clear it away, and then we'll place it back on the reef with something called um, either a two-part epoxy or we use cement at Reef Restoration Foundation. Um, and that kind of solidifies it to the reef.
0: Yeah, and then it has the chance to grow and hopefully be more resilient for any future bleaching events, which are exactly we're hoping yeah. are not coming. Um, did you recently <laughs> actually see the... the the water quality
1: report which came out in Queensland? I did yeah that was um that was a report wasn't it?
0: (laughs) That was a fun one
1: could you kind of share with the audience what this
0: report means or what what it said?
1: Yeah, so I'm pretty sure it was the report that um, said the water quality was poor to very poor. Is that the one you were um, going with? Yes. Um, So that just means that the Great Barrier area catchment area, so like uh, all the rivers and lakes that drain into the Great Barrier Reef area um, has accumulated a lot of sediment, a lot of nutrients, um, phosphates, nitrates, all that good stuff, and is dumping into the um, reef, which means very bad things, increased algal growth, increased sponges. Um, The crown of thorns have actually been related to um, decreased water quality, has increased their populations for some reason, and they're not 100% sure why that connection happens. Um, Yeah, so it's not a great outlook for the reef. Um, However, I know a lot of the government agencies have kind of um, taken a step back and was like, ooh, that's not great, and are hopefully amping up some um, water quality Containment measures, programs. Yeah, yeah, to yeah. increase it.
0: If you guys live in Queensland, um, it, it's really important to kind of get out there and to stand behind these measure measures or you know movements towards um, controlling these water qualities. Unfortunately, a lot of this water quality issue comes from like the farmland and the the, the farming areas, which is most of Queensland's money. You know, um, so it is a bit of a tricky subject here in queensland so just kind of keep an eye out on that it's it's very interesting what's happening in the news yeah just just a quick sign up crown of thorns for those of you guys who don't know they're these massive starfish which actually look really cool and i've seen them a few times when they're alone on the reef and they're pretty badass very pretty (laughs) yeah Yeah.
1: Um, (laughs) they
0: have like how many like 12 arms or something crazy
1: uh, they can be up to twelve arms, but they're just one of those odd starfish that kind of grow however they want to grow. They <laughs> yeah. can have eight to like fifteen arms or something
0: but basically they eat uh, coral, so um, when there's one on the reef or you know two on the reef that's fine but what's what's happening with this changing water um, uh, quality essentially decreasing water quality with too many nutrients for some reason they are having these mass spawnings and they're taking over massive reefs and pretty much destroying everything in their path. Um, so there's now actually boats which go out there and try and kill them, but that's a whole separate kind of <laughs> issue, which we'll be talking about on <laughs> <in> another episode <laughs> of the Ocean Packing Podcast because that's a whole side thing to kind of get stay tuned. <laughs> <laughs> stay tuned. Um, one of the cool things and one of the reasons I really wanted to have Hannah on here today is not only has she had experience at the Reef Restoration Foundation, uh, also, she has had the luck or you know, the uh, ability to yeah, have yeah. opportunity there we go to work with some of the other coral restoration um, agencies in the world. So, can you tell us a little bit about the other projects that are happening
1: worldwide? Yeah. Yeah, um, so I got my start in restoration in uh, the Florida Keys uh, with Coral Restoration Foundation, which is actually um, a partner with Reef Restoration Foundation. Um, And they do the similar practices that RRF does in Australia with the coral tree nurseries and stuff. Um, And that kind of got my gears going in coral restoration. And then when I moved to Australia, I found um, another organization called Coral Alive. Um, It's a Swiss nonprofit. Uh, that does restoration programs around the world, and they had an opportunity in their restoration place in the Maldives. Um, There was a reef that was degraded, and they were using a technique called mineral accretion, um, which is basically putting these huge metal pods out into the ocean and hooking them up to electricity. And that, as everyone knows, if you put metal and water together, it rusts. Well, the electricity actually reverses that process and causes oxidization and allows calcium um, calcium carbonate to accrete to these structures. So basically, the basis of what reefs are is growing on these metal structures. And they were able to take um, coral colonies and place them on those metal structures and uh, really reduce the stress and the energy needed to grow um, and secrete that um, carbonate skeleton, so they were able just to flourish rapidly. And they've seen similar results with n- nursery um, methods of increased growth and such. Um, so I was able to do that for, uh, what, six weeks, seven weeks, I think, um, which was a, a amazing opportunity. And I was very glad to participate in that.
0: That sounds really cool, but definitely uh, probably much more um, like financially intensive to have electricity there
1: at all times yeah so there's a lot of um holdbacks what's the proper word for that setbacks of that technique (laughs) um obviously the main one is going to be money it's super expensive to continually run electricity especially if you're not doing it sustainably through solar or wind or such as um that methods um and then also it's only able to be done with like fringing reefs or reefs that are really close to the shoreline because Obviously, you aren't going to run a huge um, wire out to a barrier reef, which could be two, three, four hours away from the shoreline. Um, And then on top of that, as I mentioned before, it can be um, very damaging in the sense that, one, you're putting out metal structures onto the natural reef. And in a million years, when that reef is ultimately gone, because evolution... Um, that metal structure is still going to be there, and that's pollution, which no one likes. And then, two, if you're not doing the electricity part sustainably, you're just adding more carbon dioxide and whatnot and greenhouse gases into the atmosphere. So, there's some positive and negatives definitely, but it is it was good to learn about. Oh, definitely. Um, what other kind of techniques or methodologies have you heard of that
0: they're trying to implement for coral growth?
1: yeah so the two main methods are those mineral accretion and um the coral tree nursery but there's a lot of just like um plug nurseries basically mm-hmm. so you get like a little plug and stick a coral in and then have those out um something a modified coral tree which is just like um metal tables that are put out and i think that was done in oh, some caribbean islands I, is my- I saw it in vanuatu as well those ones vanuatu yeah and bonaire i think as well so they just take um a previously placed like sand area that may historically have had a reef, but it's been so degraded. It's just sand or rubble now. And they put these metal structures out and then attach corals there. And they have had huge success, like massive success with that method. Um, Yeah, there's um, like microfragmenting, which is more to do with um, like the bouldering corals um, species. So like brain coral, they'll cut it up into individual polyps. And place that onto a little uh, flat surface, and uh, that will grow in a year to do three or four polyps because those are slower growing. But then they take a hundred of those three or four polyp plates and place it on a reef, and they have a hundred-year growth boulder coral in just a year. So there's a couple different methods, and depending oh, wow. on the yeah, depending on the species. So it's really exciting, really exciting stuff that's happening.
0: Oh that's really cool. I had a question but I completely forgot it when hearing about the brain coral.
1: <laughs> yeah, so that's that's a really new method. Um I think they just had their first outplant um done in the Florida Keys I think this past year in around January time. So it will be exciting to see how that does on the reef and if it really succeeds or not. So Yeah. It's if it
0: connects and everything. Wow. Yeah. That's fascinating. Cause I, so I went to the Ames uh, Institute. So the Australian uh, Institute of Marine Science kind of big lab area in Townsville. Oh yeah. And um, when you walk in, one of the first things you see is this enormous like transect, I guess, of a brain coral, which is 15 meters tall. And it's, and it's something Something like, and so they they took they basically dug a tube into this massive brain coral again fifty in right. diameter or anything and they so just like uh carbon dating or just like uh, counting tree rings on a tree you can see how yep. old the coral is and i think i think it was like i don't know like i don't know four thousand five thousand years old like something crazy yeah
1: I don't know I mean, so it's, it'd have to be oh that would be so cool to see yeah
0: it's it's fascinating really because coral is such a I don't, it's such a bizarre idea. Like, we don't really know Mm. anything like it.
1: um, No. um,
0: Most people don't think about it like the Great Bear Reef is a living organism. Like, it's...
1: Yeah. It's the only ecosystem in the world that's named after an animal. And one of the only that can be seen from space. And it's, it's massive. And it supports so many people and sustains, like, more biodiversity than the tropical rainforest. And it's... No one really thinks about it. Yeah. or recognizes the huge influence it has, not just in Australia, but around the world. It's my favorite thing in the world. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, I guess it's that you work in it. <laughs> um, I know. <laughs> so in, in terms of the coral, uh, hmm. the, this methodology and everything you're doing is, of course, based on um, the uh, cloning capabilities of coral, because yeah, you can actually grow, um, like propagate either sexually or asexually, so either genetically. Yeah. Clones itself, which is what we're doing with breaking off these uh, fragments off the mother colony and just letting it grow. Or then yep. there's um, sexual reproduction, which is, of course, spawning. Can you share with us yeah. about spawning?
1: Yeah, sure. Um, so you did a great job explaining it, but basically, it's the uh, sexual form of reproduction for coral So a uh, coral polyp will have either a male or female gamete, and it, it goes into this little ball type thing, and around the full moon, once a year, um, it'll expel these little gametes into the water column, and they'll find each other and combine, and then they float down in um, the current, and then resettle back to the reef um, three or four days later, sometimes even a week later, depending on the species. Um yeah, so it's, it's a phenomenal event to see. Um, I've seen it once in the Coral Tree Nursery in the Caribbean, and it was just absolutely mind-blowing. And no one really knows anything about it, except that it happens one time a year at the full moon, and that's about it. So it's really um, an interesting event to kind of sit and wait and wait and wait and wait, and there it is. So it's cool. It's awesome.
0: Oh, wow. wow. And so it's yeah. at night.
1: It's at night. Yep. It's at night.
0: Is it like, is it like midnight or high tide or like it's just random? You
1: don't, we don't know. Just kind of (laughs) randomly. Yeah. So this year they are thinking it's going to happen November 16th um, at night. And that's the closest they can get. Um, And that was based on last year's um, time that it spawned. So yeah, there's there's a lot of research that needs to be done into what causes it, if it's hormonal, if it's um, something in the water, if what, if, if it's tide related
0: I, I guess one of the hypotheses we do have based on it is that it happens all at once to just maximize the kind of spread of the...
1: Yeah. Baby. Yeah. I don't
0: know Maybe it's babies it's coral larvae it's coral larvae I guess similar to to many other creatures in the world who kind of bank on having all the you know like salmon having all the mass spawning events to kind of maximize the amount of survival um had had there been any projects which kind of have looked at the coral spawning as like propagation techniques for um rejuvenating the reef
1: Yeah, um, not so much the spawning specifically, but um, what has to do with the coral larvae. So basically the coral larvae doesn't accumulate that zooxanthellae until it's settled and been what they call recruited onto a reef. Um, So actually at Tropwater, one of um, the things that are just starting to happen is research into introducing that zooxanthellae while it's still in that larval state. So Mm -hmm. it gets it earlier, so it would have higher um, rates of success of one, being recruited onto a reef, and two, living once it is recruited. Um, Because if they get that zooxanthellae earlier, they have higher chances of food sources and stuff of that nature. Um, And that's kind of the main research that I know of uh, around the coral spawning and coral larvae area.
0: That's pretty cool, though.
1: There's,
0: yeah there's a lot of research to be done on the topic for sure,
1: yeah, definitely, definitely. so I hopefully I'm involved in that this year, so we'll see. Yeah. Oh,
0: that's cool um and you've you've had the you know opportunity again to travel a lot of places around the world and stuff what mm-hmm. can, what can you kind of share with the audience of like what was your most surprising thing you have seen? In, in your travels in terms of the ocean?
1: Yeah. Um, I think one of the most surprising things is just um, investigate the organizations that you're volunteering with. Um, something that's really important to me personally is um, the morals and values of an organization and how um, they utilize their place within the world to influence people um, and just ensuring that they align with your own um, values and work ethic and what you want to put into the world that they also put into the world Mm -hmm. um and yeah just ensuring that you know the organization ins and outs and stuff what what kind of things should people be on the
0: lookout for because so many people want to get into coral conservation inability but um as as you know there are you know um places out there like when i was living in Moheli there was Um, this organization supposedly which existed for turtle monitoring and these people would go
1: there
0: they would go there and they were met by nothing you know like they paid i don't know two thousand dollars or something for a month they were met there there was no one there there wasn't even a house well there was a house but there was no running water there was no food there was yeah and they're like oh just do it i was like do what so how what what should to
1: awesome. Keep an eye out before <laughs> yeah, definitely yeah. um so one of the main ones is like who are their sponsors and who do yeah. they align themselves with um so a great example would be refrustration Foundation, and they just um got sponsored by Powershop, the Energy Company, which is hundred percent renewable energy um and they don't um attribute to any fossil fuels and that's yeah. that's awesome that they were able to find that relationship. Um, and so, similar, if you're with a um, organization and they have um, ties to fossil fuel or fuels or ties to dredging organizations or something, you may want to second guess their intentions mm-hmm. and um, stuff like that. A second one is just um, ask questions. Most of them, they're going to have interviews. They're going to have some sort of communication between you and the people that they're you're volunteering with, and just ask about their methods. Ask about there's uh, safety protocols, ask about um, whatever you're interested in. If they have sponsors, if they have relationships with people, you can just ask. And if they're a little cagey about it, maybe second guess volunteering with them or working with them or something like that. Um, and if they have any contacts to previous employees or volunteers, maybe ask for them to see their take on it. I think those are the three ways that you can ensure that you're getting a quality experience and make sure you're doing your own
0: thing. (laughs) (laughs) What are your thoughts about um, having to pay to get these experiences or going out there to do (sighs) conservation work?
1: (laughs) Yeah, That is a hard question and a complicated one. Um, So uh, like, I wish you didn't have to pay. Um, I think it's especially unfair on students, on underprivileged people, on minorities, um, to pay to get that experience. Um, as a young marine biologist, I know I had to do that with almost every single one of my experience related things yeah. is either volunteer my time, um, or pay a lot of money to get it. Um, and if I wasn't from the position I was in and I didn't have the help of my parents, I would have had those opportunities and I wouldn't have gotten to where I am today. Um, however, on the flip side of that. I understand that most of them are nonprofits mm-hmm. most of them have limited income sources and they know people are willing to pay to do these experiences. Um, so it's kind of hard to be like, ah, oh, they shouldn't pay. They should just offer it for free. When I know that they're struggling as a nonprofit to keep it running and to do the good things they are doing. But on the same time, marine biologists should be able to and any marine conservationists and anyone yeah. in that world should be able to get the experience without having to pay for it Definitely. or go financially broke
0: <laughs> no I, I i agree and um this was actually on another podcast episode i did with philip uh opperman about kind of investing into your conservation career and i think he kind of put it in a good way where you have to look at it as an investment you know, yeah. as if you're doing a course or um, yeah. a university or something like that. If you want to get started, you're going to have to get that experience somehow. And unfortunately, this is just one of the areas where you're, you're going to probably have to pay to, to get involved, just because yeah. it costs to, to have dive boats and dive equipment and, you know, um, the people yeah. who are experienced. But it, it really sucks, and I wish we could um, kind of <laughs> create some change in that area I was just talking yeah. to um, one of my friends who's been working with turtle conservation in um, Costa Rica. And okay. she got a job there. Like, she got the opportunity to work there. So I was like, oh, I'm That's so awesome. proud of you. That's amazing. Yeah. And then she told me how much she gets paid a month. And I mean, it's not even livable. You know what I mean? No. It, it was very much a, it felt like a donation more than, you know. Yeah. Anything yeah. remotely viable. So it's it's really hard. Um, <laughs> as, as we said with a lot of people on this podcast, this is not something you get into if you want to make a lot of money. You do it for the
1: love. <laughs> <laughs> you do it for the love of it, not because you want to get rich. <laughs> no, yeah. Not. Yes. Marine biologist exploitation is definitely a thing, especially in the developing countries and stuff. And it's just something you have to be wary about. Um, and I have no experience in that realm, nor have any advice. <laughs> it, Unfortunately. Um, but yeah, it's just shit. Am I allowed to swear? <laughs> yeah, it's fine. Um, it's not great.
0: For, for those of you guys who are, who are listening, we would love to hear your experiences. If you have volunteered or if you have, you know, had to pay or if you didn't have to pay please share with us your stories. Cause it's all about, you know, the more information we have, I think the better, yeah. better off we'll be. Um, Cause yeah. I'm still looking to volunteer as well in places. I'd like to not pay too. do Right. Kind of as like the last question for you, Hannah what would you, what would be your like biggest piece of advice for people who do want to get into this field or who want to help the oceans? Uh, what would be the kind of single biggest thing you, you think they
1: should do or get involved in um could you repeat the last aspect of that sorry i didn't what's the biggest thing i could do or they could do They could do
0: what what is your recommendation?
1: okay (laughs) it's okay (laughs) um uh just just do it um i know a lot of people who are hesitant to do it because of uh expense or the fact that you're not going to make a money a lot of money um And if you love it enough, it's going to come your way. And just just to take the leap and follow your dream or your heart or whatever your passion is and wherever it is, because I can tell you there's millions of organizations out there that want to hire people to have the love and to do the work. And you just, just do it. That would be my biggest thing. Just, just go for just it Yeah, there use nike's
0: um slogan just
1: do it exactly sorry <laughs> <laughs> don't sue me Nike.
0: <laughs> no it's fine they have i think that's one of the best slogans out there just do it
1: <laughs> yeah just just go for it just do it so awesome. yeah um, is there any kind of
0: like last imparting knowledge you'd like to share to the audience
1: um not really um <laughs> Check out Refrustration Foundation. Donate a coral or a tree or a branch. We have plenty of things and we'd love to have some visibility as we're starting our coral nursery. Yeah, yeah, that's the only thing.
0: (laughs) If you you guys can't donate or anything like that, I mean you can always donate a dollar, I believe in you, but also if you you can't donate, um, another great thing right now is the power of social media and getting it out there and doing those shares, Mm -hmm. the retweets and all the things Um, Give Free Restoration some love. They were featured on ABC recently, ABC News, and a few other news outlets around Australia. So that's positive. So we are getting kind of movement in the positive direction, people getting involved, and, you know, change happening. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Thank you so much for taking the time to chat with us here on the Ocean Packing Podcast. And I hope maybe we'll have you back next year after... um, uh, Yeah. Yeah figure out the results of your of your uh definitely
1: (laughs) i would love that thank you for having me it's been fun
0: no worries all right Again, Hannah, thank you so much for being here with me today. I'm looking forward to seeing your results from the accelerated growth hopefully from the research that you're doing with the Reef Restoration Foundation as well as in general hearing how the project is going and hopefully more funding means that more coral trees can be planted, therefore there can be more coral regrown to regenerate the degraded uh, parts of the Great Barrier Reef. So yeah, thank you so much, and it was a pleasure to have you here, and hopefully see you here next time. For those of you guys who are still here, thank you so much for kind of being part of the Ocean Pancake family. I am loving making these episodes, but please make sure to let me know who do you want me to talk to or interview. I am always open to suggestions get in touch with me on the Ocean Pancake podcast at gmail.com, email, or shoot me a message, vegandivercat, on YouTube or Instagram. I also have plenty of resources that you can check out on the Ocean Pancake uh, website or the My Vegan Experiment website. Basically, everything is included in the show notes. You'll be able to find it all. Just Google it, it's all out there. Of course, if you wanna help me keep doing what I'm doing, it would mean the world to me if you would become a Patreon. So just check me out on vegandivercat. Or you can also buy yourself a plastic is the killer t-shirt which features a really cool little killer whale Which is filled with plastic in its belly because plastic is the real killer and it's not the animals out there Of course final thank you to Graham Mose who is the genius behind the funky beats during each of my like little intros and uh, interludes of this pancake podcast he lives in brisbane so if you're down there you should go check him out see a live show he is a genius and an amazing human being so thank you for that thank you guys for being here with me today and i'll see you guys in next week's episode